Welcome to this edition of our Top 10 Risks series. In this series, we focus on the top dispute risks currently facing our asset management clients. My name is Adam Brown, and I'm a partner in our litigation and arbitration practice here at Simmons. And I'm joined today by two members of our specialist competition disputes team. Mark Jeffcott is a partner and David Trapp, a managing associate in that team. Today, we're going to be looking at disputes relating to competition law, and these can involve regulatory enforcement or litigation. And we selected this topic for the series because there are many touch points between asset management and competition law, but few who work in the sector are perhaps competition law specialists by background. And so these risks um, sometimes receive less attention than they perhaps deserve, particularly given the severe, severe implications if uh, you are to get competition law wrong. So we'll try and make this session nice and practical and focus through the discussion on some of the key areas of focus that are coming through as hot topics in discussions with our asset management clients at present. I'm going to start with um, a question to Mark. And the first question that we're going to sort of first area we're going to focus on is information exchange. And Mark, can you just briefly explain why you selected that topic for today? Yeah, um, so I'm sure clients are bored stiff of hearing us competition lawyers go on about information exchange all the time. Uh, we seem to say it in every compliance uh, lecture we give. Um, but um, although it's been around for a while, it does remain a very hot topic. It's very much a focus uh, of all the regulators, in particular the UK's CMA. Um, so what we're finding is, is, if anything, the CMA is getting more interested in it. It's more front and centre than it's been for a while. And what we're seeing is that the, the regulators are tending to focus on ever more subtle forms of collusion uh, that, that, that may be dressed up as something legitimate, but actually um, uh, is really just a, a, a sort of a price fixing arrangement. Uh, in disguise. So what we're doing with clients is we're continue to continue to bang the drum in compliance sessions and just trying to upskill them generally uh, on information exchange. It's unfortunately not something that's going to go away anytime soon. Okay, but as something that will, you know, it will never go away, as you say. What what update can you give for clients on this call about what we're seeing in the area? Yeah, thanks, Adam. I, th I think there is a couple of things to flag here and both have um, compliance um, consequences to take on board. I think the first is that the, it's not just the CMA now with competition powers. Uh, and many will be aware that the FCA had, it, FCA had its first case in 2019 um, where we managed to get a good result for a client there. There were three firms fined for essentially sharing strategic information um, in relation to an IPO and a placing. But a couple of key compliance messages come out of that, I think, which are quite interesting. The, the first is that that was a whistleblow uh, case. Um, and, and I think it's always worth flagging that where, you know, immunity is available for a party that goes in through a whistleblow function. Uh, there's a lot at stake. So to ensure that the, the asset managers have their, you know, their in-house compliance function ready and up to speed with appropriate systems to, and controls is still important in that respect. Um, the other thing that was interesting and important to flag, I think, is that um, it was key how the recipients to the, the primary information exchange 
um, responded to that initial email. And what this flags to me is that it's also important to make sure that the business folk are aware and and clued up on the risks and they know how to respond because the last thing you want to be doing is taking part in an investigation trying to prove a negative it's much better to be clean and not involved in the investigation in the first place um, I think the second thing to, to flag is a couple of EU developments where we are still seeing cases come out with rather significant fines there's the EU government bonds uh, trading cartel a 371 million euro fine for chat room collusion. Now, obviously, we've seen plenty of chat room collusion over the years. We've seen cases on that, so it's nothing new. But then also the, the SSA bonds probe in the EU. I think what we saw there is a point that Mark just mentioned before. There was the um, sort of more traditional um, information exchange, but there was also a lot of subtle coordination in terms of adjusting bidding um, behavior between parties or splitting trades as regards you know, a particular customer's um, request. So from a client's perspective, again, these are hard to spot. So there is an importance on having both the compliance function and the business folk clued up on what to look out for and how to respond. That's great. Thank you. Um, we, we'll switch topic now to um, focus on ESG. And this is topical for clients for all sorts of reasons. But what are the particular competition law issues for asset managers to be aware of in this space? Yeah, as you say, Adam, obviously ESG is very topical. Um, there was a Lex article only this morning, I think, on green bonds. Uh, and understandably, clients may say, you know, why, why aren't you worried about competition law on, on this great ESG initiatives? Uh, but the authorities have been interested in ESG, uh, probably more interested in the E, uh, the environmental side, things like sustainability agreements. Uh, but also they are interested in the social uh, governance issues, things like uh, initiatives for uh, equal pay, for instance, or industry standards um, uh, generally. So why are the authorities, you know, the competition authorities sticking their oar in in this, what you might reasonably say is a very, you know, very good, worthwhile initiatives? Well, the reason is that almost by definition, most ESG initiatives to be any good have to be kind of industry wide. And so that involves collaboration on an industry-wide basis. And that means that competitors are talking to each other and horizontal competitors are getting into rooms together. And that just makes regulators nervous, quite frankly. Um, so that's really where it's come from. As I mentioned, most of the interest today has been on uh, environment. Uh, so uh, companies getting together um, to produce products that are, are green. Uh, the authorities have mentioned that they're a bit worried about greenwashing, for instance, saying your 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 um, your goods are much more green than they are, and collusion between com competitors on getting the most uh, efficient product. That's what that's what they're getting at. So what is the takeaway here? It's absolutely not to stop doing this uh, because there are um, there, there are uh, within all regimes or most of the developed regimes, there are exemptions that are available for this kind of collaboration. Um, uh, and so you absolutely should go on, go, carry on doing it. But we do suggest you do, do come and talk to us first uh, because there's a bit of uncertainty. The reason being that the exemption regimes are based broadly on 
consumer welfare benefits and economic ben benefits that outweigh the restrictive um, collaboration. The trouble is at the moment it's not entirely clear what an ESG benefit is. Is it a consumer welfare benefit? I mean we'd argue very much yes it is. Uh, is it an economic benefit? Maybe, maybe not. Um, so there's a bit of uh, a bit of lack of clarity basically. Um, there have been some helpful steps. Um, the authorities have maybe been a bit slower than they could have been, but some authorities, the Dutch authority, for instance, has been uh, quite avant-garde in this. Uh, it's issued some very helpful guidelines. They're currently in draft, but they are very, very helpful in saying, basically, we, we're not looking to fine you for this, but just make sure you know there are certain safeguards and so on. Likewise, the Greek authority has made some good steps here. Uh, the UK CMA has issued some guidance, probably a bit less progressive than the Dutch, but nevertheless, it's kind of on their radar. The European Commission is looking at this as well. We're hoping that in the horizontal guidelines that are due to be published imminently, there will be something on where they think the right or wrong side of the line is. Uh, likewise, they're suggesting there may issue comfort letters. So all positive signs. So I think the message is very much, you know, do do this collaboration, but do come and talk to us first because you could get into hot water. Uh, and there are relatively easy fixes uh, to make things, uh, you know, pretty robust from a compliance perspective. Thanks very much, Mark. It certainly sounds like in competition law, as in many other areas, um, the ESG developments are presenting everybody with a very steep learning curve. And frankly, we're all we're all having to keep a close eye on it for that reason, because, you know, everyone's getting up to speed with where things are now and trying to predict where things will be in the near future. But um, so turning to the, the third subtopic that uh, you selected for today uh, of foreign direct investment, can you give an overview of why this is a hot topic right now for asset management clients? Yeah, sure. I, again, there's nothing particularly new in, in FDI generally. I mean, Australia has had it for many years. The US with CFIUS has had it for many years. I think the reason it's become uh, more of a hot topic now is that more and more, and in fact, most of certainly the developed antitrust regimes have alongside their merger control uh, now um, uh, either soon to be implemented or already implemented FDI uh, controls. What it's getting at, as everyone knows, is that um, governments are concerned that foreign, uh, uh, foreign investors uh, get their hands on strategically important businesses or assets, and they really just want to say um, as to whether that can go ahead. Um, if you get it wrong, there are very significant consequences, you know, voidness, uh, personal liability, fines in many jurisdictions. Obviously, it varies jurisdiction to jurisdiction, but a pretty common theme uh, is that there are pretty bad things that can happen if you get it wrong. But I think the message that we're trying to get across to clients is, look, it's not something to be scared of or worried about. It's not something, you know, to stop you investing at all. Uh, but, you know, it's just something that needs to be considered in the same breath as merger control. So increasingly, our clients are coming to us and saying, can you do some merger control analysis for this deal? Oh, and also an FDI analysis. And I think just, you know, sooner rather than later, it will just become part and parcel of, of pretty much all transactions. Um, particularly 
uh, uh, interesting for I, I think this audience, you know, who will deal with regulated uh, regulated uh, companies. Uh, you also have to have your know, systems con and controls in place to make sure you take account of relevant, you know, FDI laws and regulations. But I think the key is it's not something to be afraid of, just something to be aware of. Thanks very much. And David, turning to you, could you build on that by perhaps giving a bit of an overview of any respect in which there have been developments in the UK's foreign direct investment landscape? Yeah, absolutely, um, Adam, no problem. I, the, the, look, the main development is the uh, UK's National Security and Investments Act which essentially provides the UK government with standalone powers to intervene in um, acquisitions and investments where it considers there might be a national security risk. Um, now, the, whereas I think the Act is coming in on the 4th of January 2022, it's key to note that actually it's got retrospective effect back to the 12th of November 2020 and investments made since then. What that means is actually we're currently advising clients now on the risks and the application of this Act that hasn't yet come into, into play. And the government does have um, open channels for consultation and for discussions to take place. And we're seeing a number of clients making use of that because obviously there is a lot of uncertainty on exactly how this act applies. Um, a couple of points I think to note for asset managers is that um, we the, the act brings with it a number of potential practical implications um, because it captures those investments um, that could bring with it um, a what what we call what it calls material influence and anyone familiar with merger control will know that that is a very broad concept at the moment um so as to how to define what material influence is and we're finding a number of clients now seeking to try and identify where in their business either their own activities or perhaps the activities of their clients could frequently be bumping up against potential material influence maybe that might not be all that obvious um, i think the second point to note is that there is a regulatory compliance aspect here um, and i think the fca would expect appropriate systems and controls to be in place to ensure that there is compliance with these foreign investment uh, regimes and so what we're finding is that we are talking to clients now about what steps they can take to first identify where these issues could arise and secondly then what systems and controls they can put in place to mitigate um, that risk. And that doesn't necessarily mean automated um, processes. It can just be tweaking and just making sure that, um, you know, the appropriate people are appropriately trained um, and there are proper systems in place for escalation where needed. Thanks very much, David. Um, that's, you know, a, a super interesting area. And as you say, one where um, the new legislation needs to be front of mind for those that it will affect. Uh, we're out of time for today, but I hope that's been useful to all listeners. And please do look out for other videos in this series where we'll cover other risk areas from an asset management perspective and how they can be managed and mitigated. Thanks very much. Goodbye. <laughs>